right. And we are live. Sir, Ben Ornstein, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Thanks. Psyched to be here. Indeed. So uh, for those of you watching, welcome to day six of MicroConf On Air. Uh, you're either watching this at microconfonair.com or you can head to youtube.com slash microconf. If you want to ask questions of Ben Ornstein, whether it's about his microconf talk from last year or really anything that's been going on with him, you can head to microconfconnect.com and get into the Slack group there. We have a microconf on air channel and uh, folks are pumping thoughts and questions in there. Before we get started, thanks so much to Basecamp and Stripe. Um, they are our uh, annual partners, headline partners this year. And as always, we you know love, love working with them. My guest today, as I said at the top of the, the stream, is Ben Orenstein. He's the co-founder of Tuple, co-host of the Art of Product podcast. And you know we like to, to structure the discussion a little bit around, especially if folks have spoken at MicroConf, around their, their talk. Um, Ben's talk last year was called Idea to Validation to Launch the First 365 Days of Tuple. And that went live in the past couple days uh, on that, that MicroConf YouTube channel that I mentioned earlier, youtube.com slash microconf. We also, I believe producer Xander sent me a note that um, all of the MicroConf 2019 videos, that's growth and starter and Europe, are all now available on our YouTube channel. So Ooh. we've switched. We made a decision in 2020 with the, the expansion of MicroConf and trying to bring more um, trying to bring more stuff to entrepreneurs, especially earlier stage folks who have a tough time perhaps getting out to in-person events, um, that instead of, of selling our videos that we are, you know, essentially letting them go live for free and uh, you can head over there and check those out. Ben, have you watched your talk since we pushed it live? I actually haven't. I didn't know it was live. I have been uh, on a Twitter break, so maybe you pinged me there or something, but I, otherwise I was not not aware. Yeah, I think we I think we at mentioned you or something, but uh, it'll it'll be good. You, do you often go back and and listen to your podcast or watch talks in order to improve? I do listen to my podcast sometimes, which feels a little bit weird. But it's like my memory is so bad that last week's mm -hmm. episode is like still you know like twenty percent new to me somehow. Um, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot we were dealing with that. Um, yeah. So I listen to the podcast semi-regularly. I don't watch many of my talks. I'm actually not sure I've seen like a whole talk I've given before on video. Yeah, I watch, I, I do listen to the podcasts that I do and I find that it helps. It sometimes it's agonizing and I, but it helps me improve, you know, helps me realize weird speaking patterns or, oh, I should have asked this question or whatever. Talks, I do have to 1.75 them. I just cannot sit through a full 45 minutes of me. Um, but I have learned a ton yep. watching them, so. It's, it's a recommended, mm -hmm. recommended discipline. Yeah, I've, I've gotten over the listening to myself thing. Like that makes everybody uncomfortable at first, I think. But I'm, I'm now used to that. Uh, but the watching myself is kind of a, a new level of discomfort, I think, that I'm not, I might not be quite ready for it. Yep. Yeah, totally. So we do have some good, we have some comments, we have some questions. I'm going to kick off with uh, the first comment we got in MicroConf Connect. It's from Ken Wallace. He's at Bodicus on Twitter. He said, this is still one of my favorite talks. In my notebook during this talk, I wrote these things. And these are paraphrases of what I got from what Ben said, perhaps not word for word quotes. One thing he said is, it is impossible, to, he's quoting you essentially, it is impossible to ship early enough, live frugally, set money aside, build your savings so someday maybe you can be your own first investor. Your early projects are just your practice companies and practice products. Ask for what you want. Any of that ringing a bell with you? Yeah. Um, I'm Remember pleased that I... 
Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased that I think I still agree with all of that advice. Yeah. Um, maybe that means I'm not growing enough, or maybe I just I got I managed to, to get a couple of things that are are lasting. Yeah, um, but I think that all early. that also kind of rings true. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you mentioned before we we started recording, um, you're you know hanging out in your apartment. Um, COVID is is on your mind, you know, and I think it's on a, a lot of our minds and and different folks are dealing with it in different ways, but what, like, what impact has that had? I'm, I'm curious, I think both personally and, um, and business-wise. Um, well, business-wise, our, our app is um, a tool that's used by developers when they're working remotely. So the market for, uh, the number of working home, working at home developers probably went up 500 times in the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Uh, so we saw um, a, a pr- pretty huge surge in, in inbound interest. Um, which is nice on the business is doing well side uh, presents its own stress. Of course it's um, like, it's exciting and it's good. Um, but now it's also just like, well, everything just got turned up to 11 in terms of work requirements. And so before we were, we had like nice growth and things were going well, uh, but, it, and it felt pretty calm. And now it's like, okay, the growth is coming fast enough that like suddenly there's like so much work to do. And our little team, uh, which is like 3.2 people at this point or so, um, is, uh, it's, it's starting to feel like, wow, there's too much now. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a you know, good and bad, I would say on the work front. Yeah. Good problem to have, but still a problem. Yeah, exactly. And I remember ta- I remember hearing you talk about and other people, but like you talking about like with drip, like always feeling like, Oh, I need to keep adding this person here and like turn this revenue into an revenue into another person and scale up this part. And, uh, I'm, I'm feeling that now for the first time before it felt like we're like, we were like, we were able to like build things and make stuff and even like be manual um, mm-hmm. and keep up with everything. And now the growth has like changed um, dramatically. And so it's, it's like, well, I, I used to just be able to do all the sales stuff. And now every time I open up the thing, it's like, there's a half a day of work in here and I can't do the other things that I want to do and need to do. Um, and so it's, I think we're, we're hitting the scaling thing, um, uh, which is cool. Uh, it's, it's better than hitting the, no one wants to buy our thing. Um, but it's also, it's like a whole new set of challenges for sure. Yeah. And it's something that I don't think a lot of us see, feel it coming, or even though we know that it will, um, if we scale, because you can tell yourself, I just can't imagine that the three of us can't just grow this to a million dollar company or a $2 million, you know, or maybe we'll hire one person to get there. And then as you start getting there, exactly what you're experiencing, it's like, no, now I get it. Like I could work 70 hour weeks and, and not be able to keep up with this. Yep. And it's also the thing that's really where I noticed it's really impacting is just in being able to prioritize the things that are most important. Like I, th- I think, and maybe I'd actually be curious what you think on this. Like, I think the best thing I can do, like my kind of zone of genius thing is actually around product management. It's so like mm-hmm. determining like what we should build next, how it should work, how it should look, that kind of thing. And that feels most important to me, I think. Um, but like, I also am handling sales, which is now like becoming an increasingly large commitment and that is not zone of genius stuff for me. Like I'm okay at it, but I'm doing a lot of um, shuffling papers around and like filling out the vendor system to get paid and mm-hmm. following up on invoices and stuff. It's like, that doesn't seem the most high value. Um, and reasonably easy to hire if the product is, I'm getting the feeling that the sales job is not that complicated. It's just a process, right? It's you, you do the demo. People generally know what the tool does. They have a few questions and then, um, it's not like selling, I, I don't know, an ERP system or something, right? Or a I'm Salesforce saying, yeah. or something. Right. And I'm actually basically never selling. It's more like mm-hmm. 
large companies like we want to buy 20 licenses of, of the enterprise plan and it's like great so i'm not trying to convince anyone to, to do it or, or like ne- often even negotiating much really aside from like certain contract clauses uh so it's more like just walk through whatever their process is basically um which is always involved and uh kind of annoying so it's i think it's, it's definitely the kind of thing that someone else could do yeah. Yeah. And that's like, in, I think inside sales is generally like when we were in construction, there was outside sales and inside sales and outside would go out and meet with the customer and they were really to be the relationship and stuff. And then they had a contact called inside sales and they did all the ad- admin is, is it's more than that, but it's what you're saying. It's paper shuffling and it's kind of getting things done internally. You're doing both right now, but um, yeah, that definitely feels like something that, because product is more, you know, you, you hiring someone to run your product at this point would be very, very hard and it would be a big risk, right? Whereas you hiring yeah. someone to do sales right now is is much more of a no-brainer. I'm That's curious, true. you know, co- so COVID is, for better or worse, is obviously, you know, um, increasing revenue. I mean, it, it's it's a plus for the business. Um, personally, it, it how, how is it taking a toll on you? Yeah, 100%. Um, health stuff is like my most like vulnerable area it feels like to me in terms of like mental response to it Mm -hmm. like my my mental response to most risks is like pretty measured i think Mm -hmm. um something about health risk to me and people i love is like extra scary and so i've been struggling mentally with that part um and it's also of course like there's more isolating happening and right. I'm super extroverted and I love spending time with people. <clears throat> I like being in person with them. And so um, that bit's been tough as well. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Well, thanks. You know, thanks for showing up, even though it's yeah. not, always, not always fun and easy, uh, but I, you know, I do appreciate it. We have, a, we have a ton of um, comments, thoughts, questions. The first question is from Mason Hensley and he said, I'm curious about Ben's thoughts on screen.so, which is mm-hmm. really the first competitor um, that that we've heard about, you know, for, for Tuple. And I don't know, thoughts may not be the right question, but obviously it's, I'm sure it's on your radar. It's on our radar. Yep. Uh, saw it happen. Uh, interested to see what happens there. Um, don't have like exactly a fully formed response on that yet. Uh, it wasn't surprising. Like it was, it was honestly a bit surprising how long it felt like we had this sort of clear space in front of us or is like doesn't seem like almost anyone else is coming after this market right now i've said that a and few so, times on my podcast i was like someone's gonna do this eventually <laughs> like oh, this yeah. is a nice space you know 100 percent. yeah and so like it was not a surprise that that day came eventually where someone's mm-hmm. like oh yeah this yeah that there's a competitor totally um so not shocking i mean still it's a it's a stressor as well um sure. but like the good news is the market just got enormously bigger yeah. That's kind of good to, to say that there's enough to go around is an understatement, I would say. Um, and I think we also feel motivated. Um, mm-hmm. It's having someone else do something uh, is like, it makes you maybe lights a little bit of fire. And mm-hmm. so I feel like we're all kind of like, all right, well, we, we have to keep kicking ass. Yep. Yep. That can be good. Uh, Forrest asks, what advice might you have for someone who built a SaaS app as a side project for themselves and has been using it for about a year? But it absolutely pet, but is absolutely petrified to put it out in front of anyone else for fear of rejection. Just thinking about it, because a bunch of fear, just thinking about it causes a bunch of fear and anxiety for such a person. Of course, definitely not me asking for a friend. Yeah, huh? Um, that's interesting. To me, this is not even a business question. 
Mm. Uh, to me, this is a, why is that so scary? Mm-hmm. Um, what in your past made that so scary or, or what's, what's the real risk here? This feels like actually a Sherry Walling question, mm-hmm. or like a, a therapist question. It's a mindset question. General, yeah. cause, cause I'd be shocked if this were the only, if this business thing or the SaaS app were the only place this sort of reared its head. And so yeah. I would, I would think about trying to get to the source with someone that's trained at helping you unpack those thoughts and analyze them. Yep. No, I think that's good advice. Totally coincidentally, um, about two hours ago, I was on Twitter and I had this thought about shipping and the shipping muscle, you know, the muscle of, of learning to do it and the fear behind it. And I did spit out like a four or five tweet, tweet storm that basically was like, here are the fears that, that I often feel or that a lot of us feel when we ship and here's why and here's what I think you should do about it. And, you know, ship, uh, what did I say? Doing things in public creates opportunity, but it's scary to do so and blah, blah, blah. So not, that's not, you know, that's more of a stitch it on a pillow type tweet. That's not going to fix it for you, but it is funny that um, it, this is just such a common thing, right? It's such a common thing for all of us to, and it, whether it's shipping software, whether it's shipping your info product, a blog post, a book chapter, a live stream, uh, a microconf talk, like all of these things are so scary, especially the first couple times you do them. And I find that the more I do them, like the first live stream I ever did, I was just terrified, you know? Mm. And even though I've done, I mean, you and I have both done dozens and dozens of talks in front of hundreds of people, it's different. Live streams, for some reason, at least for me, were different. And I was really scared to do it. And I'm glad that producer Xander forced me (laughs) to do Mm. it. And now I'm like much more comfortable, you know? And it's just- that's almost what I would say. It's like, you know, once you get over it and you do it, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It just becomes less of an event that you run away from. Yeah. I would say one of my uh, life philosophies that I believe very deeply is in the plasticity of human brains. Mm. So just because you react a certain way or feel a certain fear uh, to a given situation right now does not mean that it has to be like that. And uh, with effort, you can change just so much about your personality and how you deal with things. Absolutely. Growth mindset, right? Yours is fixed. Uh, Mike Lawler asks, he says, I'm, I'm wondering if Ben has tips for launching an info product. For folks who don't know, you've launched several info products uh, to the, in the developer space. He says, I'm working on one similar to refactoring Rails. It's Postgres on Rails, but I don't have near the following that Ben has. My approach so far is to write a really good conference talk and give it at meetups hopefully one day and submit it as, to as many conferences as possible. What else can I or should I do? Um, that sounds good. I don't know if Adam Wathen's talk has been put up on the channel yet. Yes. All the, um, yeah. On the, the microconf talk. Mm, yeah. Okay. So maybe that, that's probably still on its way then. So, so, we're working so, on those right now. Yeah. All right, cool. So Adam is better at this than anyone I know. And so I would defer to his advice, but I can kind of give you the TLDR, which is be useful on the internet. So conference talks is good, although sometimes conferences are rather competitive, so you might actually have a hard time getting the talk in there. But if you make uh, an incredible six-tweet thread on some useful Postgres thing that Rails developers are going to find useful, and then you do that once a week uh, and maybe turn some of them into blog posts and you know, or have a podcast or kind of... I think the medium is actually not super important because it's kind of more like what you're going to stick with and do regularly. But just that basic idea of like, how do you deliver lots of value to people for free in a place they want to consume it in a, th- in a way you can keep up with and then eventually, you know, sell them something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. 
and producer Xander just slacked and said that Adam's talk is live. So oh, youtube.com slash microconf and search for Adam Wyland if you want to watch that talk. It was a very good talk, you're right, um, on this topic. Mm -hmm. Stefan has a question for you. He says, in terms of idea validation, did you choose to work on Tuple because of the big hole left in the market by the acquisition of Screen Hero? Uh, what I mean is, if that didn't occur, do you think you'd still be creating a startup and how would you validate the idea? Hard to say. Um, the, the lack of a really good option uh, was a big reason that that idea got bumped to the top, but there were other factors like the fact that it was a tool for developers which is an audience I already had access to. Uh, and also, a, um, also, I felt like I could make a good product for them because I understand them because I am one. Uh, so th the combination is what really made it become number one. Uh, if there had been an awesome version out there that I was using and loving, I probably wouldn't have started, I think. But I don't know um, what I would have done instead. And, and uh, validation, uh, I, think there's, I think there's been a fair amount. I think there's a lot said on, the, on validation on the on the YouTube channel and also in some of my uh, previous talk, I believe. So I can, uh, you can check out those. Mm -hmm. Cool. Nick from Dentally says, as a young product, how has Tuple approached enterprise sales versus self sign up? Was it something that was planned or worked as you went as large customer requirements became evident? Yeah, much more of the latter. Uh, and in fact, in the beginning, we just told people no, basically we're like sign up with a credit card and they'd be like, we want um, uh, S SSO. And we're like, sorry. Uh, and we would just sort of push people away. Anyone and like, you know, paying with POs or negotiating contracts, we just said no to in the beginning uh, because we felt like we needed all our focus on building a great product. And then over time, the interest went up and up and sometimes the numbers started to go up and up and it was like, you know, do we really want to say no to this or do we want to maybe build single sign-on? Um, so we built single sign-on actually in response to um, basically a dream customer came along and said like, we're interested in using this um, we, SSO is a hundred percent a deal breaker. Uh, what do you want to do? And I was like, guys, I think we should build SSO. Um, so we did. And actually, uh, they just onboarded, uh, this, this week. So that, uh, that's paying off, which is nice, but also it opened us up to a lot of other, um, enterprise deals. Uh, but yeah, we just kind of have slowly, some of it honestly has been a mental shift for me because I'm a developer. I don't love doing the sales thing. Inefficiency drives me crazy in a way that doesn't other people. So like, filling out the same security audit for a bunch of people and like getting asked questions that I already documented on the, you know, on the website and, and all that stuff just like kind of makes me uh, cringe a bunch. Uh, but I'm trying to grow up a little bit and just like tough it out. And I'm also trying to think like, okay, I don't like doing this, but that doesn't mean Tuple shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. This just means I shouldn't do this. Uh, yeah, so I'm trying to just kind of change my mind around it. It's a, it's a really interesting question. So much of so many of us, want to start an app that's self-serve or that we don't have a sales process or certainly that we don't have an enterprise sales process for all the reasons you've described. And I think that's the beauty of, of being, you know, self-funded or indie funded is that you have the control and you can make the decision of, man, yeah. I, I just don't want to do this. And I do want to constrain the business. And I've seen entrepreneurs do that and that's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. If, if you really wanted to grow slower and just never do sales, then just don't do it. But to decide, no, we, we do want to become, you know, a seven figure or an eight figure business. Um, and to realize either I need to, you know, tough it out or as you're talking about now, hire someone. Um, I think that's a totally, it, it's, it's just nice to be in control of that and not always being saying what will make us grow faster. And, and I have to do that and feel like you're backed in a corner because at a certain point it's not fun anymore. Right. And it becomes right. more of a job like 
we don't do this to back ourselves in a corner and do things we don't want to do, you know? So it definitely sounds like a role that, that you should be firing yourself from soon. It seems like I can't wait. Um, <laughs> the, uh, actually, I kind of like it. Some of it's fun. It's, it's, and like, it's, it's cool to close a deal and then someone like writes you a big check or does a big ACH or yeah. a credit card charge. Like, cool. This is, I, yeah. I'm, I like it when the money shows up at the end. That's a pretty fun, fun game. But I, I do feel like actually like there's this been this push and pull for us, which is um, we really don't want to build a, like a, a lifestyle for ourselves that we don't like that was clearly not the point that's not what we started this was to like create a job that sucks for us um and but we also don't want to like hold the business back uh and it's like uh, there's we have a good product people like it i want a lot of people to be able to use it especially now if they want to um and i want to like i don't want to let my own personal proclivities like hold the company back that affects my Mm co-founders that affects our customers so trying to like balance these things and figure out, okay, what should I do? What shouldn't I do? Uh, and firing myself and such is, is becoming more of the playbook. Yeah, for sure. We have a question from Andy Peters. He says, Ben, you make pricing sound easy. Could Sorry. you talk, obviously he's listened to the podcast, Art of Product podcast, if you haven't checked it out. Uh, could you talk about your journey to finding the right, and then he has that strike through and it says the current price. In yes. your talk, you talk about how you raised your prices along the way to see what people will pay. Can you talk about the thoughts, emotions you had when raising prices? Did you ever have newer customers with higher prices than earlier customers? Um, did they ever know or care? Conversely, did you ever have to reach out to early customers and ask them to pay more uh, now that you have a more set price? Wow. Uh, how yeah. do I not ramble in an answer to that many questions? Yeah, there was a lot. Um, you want me to start re-asking them one by one? No, that's cool. I actually, I just, I, I pulled it up so I can, I can bite these off uh, one by one. Uh, so I'm glad I make pricing sound easy. I don't actually, th- well, I guess I'm glad. I, I don't actually think pricing is easy, but it sounds like you mostly have absorbed my philosophy around it where you said, can you talk about your journey to finding the right strike through current price? And I think that's the, that's, that's the right mentality, which is um, I th- don't try to think about a right price. Think about testing prices and think about testing them semi-regularly because there's nothing like just getting real data from actual customers uh, at, to, to answer these questions. Um, a friend asked me like, what do you think about pricing scheme A versus pricing scheme B? And I was like, I think you should test each one for a month and see what happens. Uh, it's, it's just a, the best thing I've found for settling in on prices that make sense. Um, I, will, I do want to do a quick brag, which is the other day I sent our pricing page to Patrick McKenzie and he did not tell us to charge more. Hmm. So... Uh, right there. That's a win. I was like, okay, I think we, that sounds, that seems promising. Um, uh, and then, so he said, uh, can you thoughts talk about the emotions thoughts and, when, yeah, when you're raising thoughts prices. and emotions when raising prices? Um, it is mentally a bit challenging. Um, there were times when I was testing new higher price points where I would write the price and like kind of have to like close my eyes as I hit the send button or like, mm-hmm take a deep breath or like I would write a price and then I would like backspace over it, make something lower. Like, no, 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 no. Do, do the one you want to do. Just try it. Or like, just change that four to a five or that, you know, add something here and, and just, uh, there was a mental struggle. I don't think that's should be discounted. So, uh, uh, gird your loins, I guess, uh, prepare mm-hmm. yourself for it. Uh, did you ever have newer customers with higher prices than early customers feel bummed or even churn? Um, I don't think that ever happened. Um, we eventually settled on our current pricing and that's been that way for a bit, but I don't actually think we ever had someone say like, Hey, I heard this person paid less. Mm-hmm. Um, we want it's pretty that. pretty unusual for that to happen. 
Yeah. 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 That's, I think that's one of those cool. concerns that maybe are, are, are not actually um, that common. Right. Um, and then finally, did you, uh, did you ever have to reach out to early customers and ask them to pay more now that you have a more set price? Uh, we are just, actually, I think we, so we're, we're just starting to, starting to bump into that. We have some early customers that were on annual plans that are starting to renew. I think basically so far we've just grandfathered them all. Um, it's pretty, the amount of customers that are on the old pricing is not super high to the point where it's concerning to us. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we've, we've just been kind of leaving them alone. Yep. Cool. Uh, Stefan has a question. He said, how much would you say having a non-trivial following on the web and a good reputation has influenced your startup's growth? If nobody knew about you personally, do you think anything would be different in the end? I, I've gotten this question before, so I'm curious to hear, uh, hear your thoughts on it. I, I mean, it's all speculation, right? Because I can't split test reality, but I think it's pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Um, from the beginning, we just had like, it was easy for me to get a couple thousand people on the mailing list. And it was easy to tweet a thing and then have a few thousand people see it. It was, it was just made getting initial momentum, I think, dramatically easier. And also there was trust there too. So people would sign up and say, I've gotten so much value from your Ruby talks and from your podcast and whatever. And so I was excited to come try this now that I have a need for it. And so there was like sort of trust and rapport, I guess, that was, was built over time through these things. And so maybe we could have reached a similar level of success without that. But it feels feels pretty unlikely to me. I think this, the slope would have been a lot flatter as we struggled to sort of get our name out there and get people hearing about us. Yep. Yeah, I feel like it's a, a really nice kickstart in the early days, especially that the trust is almost more important than like the size of the audience, I feel. And it's if you can get those early adopters who trust you and are willing to give it a try, give you the benefit of the doubt, and then you start getting that feedback from them, you improve the product quickly, then word starts spreading. And I, I... I think trying to grow an eight-figure business or a you know, high seven-figure business just on audience in the SaaS space is very, very hard. But you happen to have this amazing synergy with your audience being the exact customers who yep. should use this. And, and most people don't. Um, even in if, if I look back at the audience I had when I was doing Hittail, it's like only a portion of my audience cares about SEO. And that was an SEO keyword. So only a portion of my audience cared about email service providers when we launched Drip. Like it was, it was a good chunk, but it was not a hundred percent, you know, and, and I'm not saying yours is a hundred percent or anything, but I, I do think you had an incredible um, amount of synergy between those two that, that I think is, was helpful. Totally. And even beyond just having a bunch of people sort of in the early days who were willing to listen uh, to what I was saying, it also, because of that alignment of my, uh, me being like my audience, I feel like it helped me build a better product and also do better marketing efforts. Like I could, I could, I had a good idea of what kind of things would resonate with people that would potentially buy our product, what podcasts I should go on, that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Easy ask. And the, the moral of that story is not, oh, Ben had it easy because he had an audience and I don't. And so, you know, whatever com- thought comes from that, it's, wow, Ben was doing shit for free for like seven years and putting out podcast episodes and and giving stuff away on Twitter and putting out really valuable, both free and then, you know, some paid info content that was always more valuable than the value, you know, than the money you charge. Like that's the lesson to take from this. Um, yeah, I think, I, I, I think the right way to think about it is investing. It's like, yep. yeah, it'd be great if you already had an enormous portfolio, but if you don't, and you want to one day have, you know, have these benefits, start putting in what you can now. So it'd be great if you already had this audience, but just start putting useful stuff on the internet now. For me, I did it because I liked it and I enjoyed teaching. 
and I enjoyed having a little bit of notoriety in a tiny nerdy niche. Um, and so it was, I was motivated to do it outside of thinking like, Hey, one day I might start a business, but I was, it was more like, Hey, one day I'm, this might be useful. I don't know like exactly how or why, but like, this seems like a positive uh, asset to build up over time. Yep. Yeah. Doing things in public creates opportunity for sure. Last question of the day as we're coming up on time. It's from, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Gezim. He says, Ben, I joined late, so you might've answered this, but what percentage of revenue is from enterprise sales? And feel free to answer that in, you know, however vague you want to be. And then he asked, do you do any outbound sales like cold calls or is it all inbound? Uh, no outbound at all. Um, too much inbound to do right now. Uh, maybe someday. Yep. Um, and I tried to like a little bit uh, you know, when things were calmer and didn't work that well for us, like we have a trial. So like a developer will try it at a company and then sell their boss on it. And then some, you will often spread within the company. And then we sort of kick off a enterprise level discussion. Uh, I would say enterprise is probably still only like 10%, 15% of revenue somewhere in there. Nice. It's ramping up. There's a lot more interest from bigger companies now because suddenly they're all sending the developers home. Uh, so I could I could see that ratio. I suspect that that chunk will change, um, but it's not a huge part of the business yet. Yeah, I would think without the COVID and the working from home, there are just more smaller companies who who will be who work remote, right? And the mm -hmm. bigger companies tend to have big offices and and have less of a need for it. So, but this is definitely a tectonic shift. We got to wrap. We're at time. Thank you so much, sir, for for coming on. If folks want to keep up with you, you are. Rook R00K on Twitter, although you're taking a break right now for a month or two, I think, but mm -hmm. they can still follow yeah. you for when you get back. Um, yep. Tuple.app if they want to uh, check out the app you're building and of course, Art of Product podcast. Thanks again for coming on, man. Yeah, my pleasure. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So thanks for joining us for day six. Um, day seven is tomorrow and that is going to be making the most of surplus family time with myself Dr. Sherry Walling and 13-year-old Finn Walling. It will be in the house. Nice. Talking about some stuff. It's gonna, it's gonna be funny because that kid is hilarious. So youtube.com slash microconf. Um, same time, same place, noon central tomorrow. Thank you so much. See you then. Bye.